Carmen Chavez is the chair of the Department of uh, Mexican-American and Latino-Latina Studies um, at uh, UT Texas. She's also a, a former Ward volunteer in the news department here and current contributor to Ward News uh, programs. Um, she's also a former instructor at the University of Wisconsin, I believe, right? I don't know. Um, she left the UW along with uh, uh, dozens of other instructors uh, after 2015 when the Republican-led leg- legislature removed uh, tenure protections for them. And, uh, well, that's where she headed to the University of Texas, Austin. Um, however, if you can imagine this, Texan uh, uh, Republican uh, politicians are now targeting tenure protections. And uh, Karma was featured in uh, a recent USA Today story. And uh, she says, uh, there is nowhere to run anymore for professors. Karma, I know that was a long introduction, but uh, did I get that right? And how are you doing? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much pretty much the right thing, and uh, I'm doing well, Tony. It's good to be here. Yeah, no, you said, um, and I guess you kind of praise Wisconsin in this article. You're just like, hey, if, if they can come after the University of Wisconsin, they can come after anywhere, and they are coming after anywhere and everywhere it looks. Well, what did you mean by that, and, and um, what was special about the UW's tenure program? So, uh, yeah, I absolutely meant that as a partial praise for the University of Wisconsin system historically, uh, which was known, well known to have the strongest tenure protections, uh, in the country prior to, to 2015, uh, because it was enshrined in a very powerful way in state law, uh, but Republican legislators and Scott Walker took it out of state law and put it into the hands of the Board of Regents 2015, 2016, and really, um, watered down the meaning of tenure and opened up pathways uh, for tenured faculty to be able to be fired. Now, what, what were some of those pathways? Because I do know that uh, people, uh, you said, they, they didn't joke, but they would say, hey, once you got tenure here at the UW, you were set. It did. It was uh, quite a process. It wasn't easy to get tenure here either. Uh, uh, people had to publish. People had to uh, be very active. Um, um, you know, in their field of study also. So, um, you know, we heard about that. But one of the things that also struck me is a lot of the instructors were critical of the UW administration at the time because they said they really didn't put up much of a fight. What What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely my experience at, at UW. And one of the, the push factors for sure was that uh, I, I don't know if it was that the university didn't take seriously the implications of what was happening in the state legislature, which is probably part of it, or if they feared if they fought back uh, that they would have further repercussions from the legislature. It's hard to say, but it is a standard uh, thing that we see around the country that uh, faculty fight for their rights, but administrators uh, don't do a whole lot to try to protect them. Instead, they cave to the whims of uh, radical state legislatures. Right, we could. We just saw that happening a couple of weeks ago when the UW uh, Board of Regents uh, agreed to a deal with uh, Robin Voss uh, in terms of changing uh, the whole structure of the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at the universities. Why is tenure? What is the importance of tenure? I mean, what um, you know? Uh, uh, what is it about tenure? for professors in, in places of higher education, it's so important. So first 
of all, it should be stated that tenure is uh, both a, a great privilege and, it, and it's a very hard uh, thing to obtain. And so only about 25% of university instructors around the country are actually tenured, um, which has gone down over the years. It used to be much higher than that. The importance of tenure um, is that it gives you the ability uh, to conduct your research and to conduct your teaching in your areas of expertise without fear of reprisal. And so to use the Wisconsin language, it gives you uh, the opportunity to sift and winnow uh, wherever the data is taking you um, without worrying that if your findings are unpopular with someone who happens to be in power, um, that you could lose your job as a result of that. So it really um, preserves uh, the ability for the research enterprise um, to, to be objective and um, to, to, I guess, to, to be untainted by politics. Mm-hmm. What's the importance for students to have t- a, a place of higher education with tenured professors? So tenure, primarily we think about it in terms of research, at least someone like me I do, but it also has to do with classroom instruction. And so the importance there is it means that teachers can engage their students in controversial topics related to their areas of expertise in uh, ways that they, again, don't have to worry about uh, politics in the classroom in the sense they don't have to worry about a legislator or an elected official um, trying to dictate what they can teach. Um, And this is important because the students don't have access to a wide array of information, including information that they're not comfortable with, uh, they're not going to develop those critical thinking and social literacy skills that they need in order to participate in what's left of this democracy. Mm-hmm. Now, in this ar- article, in, uh, it was a couple of days ago in the USA Today, and as a matter of fact, you're featured on the cover of the of the national publication. Um, it also mentions that a professor at Texas A&M uh, was suspended recently for uh, criticizing the te- uh, the Texas lieutenant governor in a lecture. Um, How does that tie into what's going on here? So one of the things that's um, scary about that particular situation, if I'm remembering it correctly, is here is actually a non-tenured faculty member uh, in a course related to to mental health, I believe, and um, she she made a comment about um, how ridiculous the lieutenant governor's uh, perspectives were on the issue. And a student in the class uh, reported her, to some officials, and then this gets back uh, to the lieutenant governor's office, and he sort of throws a fit, which he's known to do. And um, rather than the university saying, you know, we protect your right to, to say things, even if they're unpopular, or even a slap on the hand, maybe you shouldn't have said that, just leave that out of the classroom, um, she was immediately suspended. And what's scary about this is, one, that you can be suspended for something that's relatively minor, But two, we're in an environment in Texas and many other places around the country where a single student can lodge a complaint, whether it's grounded in truth or not, Mm -hmm. and that can throw a faculty member into a a whole slew of proceedings, including, you know, being suspended. Now, one of the things that was highlighted in this article is that what's happening is we're getting a lot of uh, quality uh, professors and instructors who are well, they're looking for other jobs. They're looking to leave either at University of Wisconsin or University of Texas, which are two of the, uh, uh, I guess we could say the 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 biggest uh, research uh, universities uh, in the country. Um, yeah. So, is that what you're seeing? And then, what does that do though for the whole quality of education at those institutions? 
Well, I think one of the things you saw in Wisconsin after 2016 was you did see a big, um, you know, outpour of, of faculty who left for other institutions. Um, those numbers there, I think, cited in the article. So there was a significant number of faculty leaving, and there was also a huge cost to the university to retain faculty who had external offers, um, way more than it was in a, in a typical year. So the other thing you saw is that Wisconsin actually dropped in a lot of the rankings from a standard top five university to sometimes top 10 or top 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, you know, that that was a big impact. We'll see what happens here in Texas. I suspect it may be similar. But times are very different now in 2024 than they were in 2015, 2016, meaning so many states have decided to target higher education to minimize protections around uh, tenure and and faculty academic freedom, as well as to uh, try to dictate uh, DEI programs and what can be taught in classrooms. But there's very few places for faculty to go uh, where legislators aren't entertaining these kinds of policies mm-hmm. in a very calculated attack on higher education. Right. I was going to mention a little what the tie-in was with all these DEI programs. But more importantly, um, how does this uh, adversely affect the uh, professors of color and other races and genders um, who are some of the, the newer professors a lot of these places? And, of course, they don't come in with tenure. So wh- what are you seeing? Is this something that's... Uh, uh, are we seeing a lot of, uh, of professors of color under attack? Yeah, so I think a couple things are important to note here. So one, the, the vast mm. majority of the tenured professor at, at most universities uh, is white. So about 75% of tenured faculty are white. But over the last 20, 25 years, we have seen an increase in faculty of color. Uh, and so a lot of the junior ranks, as you mentioned, look a lot different. They're a lot more colorful. And I don't think that it's necessarily um, a surprise that these attacks have come as the professoriate is changing. Um, and it does put people at risk because uh, a lot of faculty of color um, might be more apt to study things relevant to their communities, and those are the particular kinds of things that are being targeted, whether it's critical race theory um, or teaching on trans issues, stuff related to sexual violence and abortion. Um, you're more likely to see people from marginalized backgrounds studying these issues, and those are the issues that are being targeted. So there is a, a bigger risk, I think, for those faculty who already are in very small numbers at most universities. Mm-hmm. Now, you speaking out about this in the USA Today article and even on today's show here, is, are you putting yourself at risk for even talking about this? Is this something that you have to worry about? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think um, even as a tenured faculty member, uh, there's no doubt that there are risks involved. And last year, uh, Texas minimized the meaning of tenure at Texas public institutions um, to include more uh, ways for there to be pathways for um, being removed from your position. Um, one of those is reputational harm to the institution. So it, it is possible that my administration uh, could see my speaking out as a uh, reputational harm, in, in which case um, they could come after me. Um, I'm hoping they won't do that because uh, I don't think I'm saying anything that's untrue. <clears throat> Right. All right. Garma Chavez is the chair of the Department of uh, Mexican-American Latino uh, uh, Studies. Uh, of course, she's a former volunteer here also. Eli has a question. Go ahead, Eli. 
Yeah, I, I said I'm just I'm just kind of curious uh, about kind of the process in, in which these policies come to be at universities. Obviously, there's a, a big connection between, you know, university policy and then actual, you know, state law that, that's funding these places. How is like the wording of, of these policies and, and kind of how they get to the university level to start affecting professors? Is it something that like, you know, a, a voting constituent can can have an impact and a voice on or, or how are these policies uh, being delivered to the university and, and being uh, laid down? So I think it's a great question. So one thing I would say briefly is I would recommend that listeners read a book by Nancy McLean called Democracy in Chains, because it lays out in pretty concrete terms the agenda of uh, Koch brothers at all, which we know very well in Wisconsin, right, Um, and the impact that um, they are trying to have on higher education. And one of the ways that this is manifested is through the Manhattan Institute and a guy named Christopher Rufo, uh, who has actually um, been very responsible for making uh, CRT, so-called lazy professors, um, and DEI central. And in fact, Rufo created, and his colleagues at the Manhattan Institute, created draft legislation that is what most of these states that have picked up this legislation have drawn from. Sometimes they've plagiarized it word for word and put it into state policy. And so that means it's not coming from internal to, you know, constituents or universities to create these policies. It's coming from these outside right-wing think tanks. And so the ordinary person, I think, does have a role to play, which is to let legislators know uh, that they don't support this, that they want the best quality education for young people in our communities, and that we want research that is um, not biased by political whims. Um, how are liberal arts studies uh, disproportionately affected by these laws? And, you know, we're talking you yeah. know, the English, art, history, things like that, uh, uh, focus on them at a lot of universities. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things you see, for example, is right after the, the, the new tenure laws uh, were passed and handed over to the Board of Regents and its policy in 2016 is what happened at some of the smaller UWs is you had some uh, program reorganization, which led to cutting of of positions faculty had to be placed elsewhere. And the programs that were targeted were all in the humanities and liberal arts. And even, you know, that was Scott Walker's big thing is we need, you know, people to be able to get jobs. And, And the idea, of course, has been that humanities degrees don't get jobs. That's not actually borne out by the research, mm-hmm. um, but it is a, a, a sort of common myth um, that ensures that we focus on putting more money in, in science and tech and less away from the humanities. The other thing that they're trying to do with this um, is to divide faculty who happen to be in STEM fields with those who happen to be in the liberal arts, so that maybe we saw heard some of this in Texas that uh, there was talk that maybe they would keep tenure uh, for example, for STEM faculty, but they would remove it for liberal arts and social science faculty. Um, and so it mm. sort of has several different tracks in the ways that it affects uh, liberal arts and humanities faculty. Right. Now we're, we're finding some, uh, uh, some faculties at, at places of higher learning are, are organizing. And what, how, how do those attempts at unionizing uh, faculty at these uh, universities, how is that going to uh, how is that going to affect these attacks on um, on tenure? So I think one of the challenges is that, uh, you know, places like Wisconsin and Texas are right-to-work states, and so it makes the unionizing very challenging. Another big challenge to this is that faculty often don't think of themselves as workers. They think of themselves as 
profession, professionals sort of above um, what, you know, a regular ordinary worker mm-hmm. might be. And so it, it's hard for them to, to think of themselves uh, as a member of a collective. Nevertheless, there are organizations like the American Association of University Professors, uh, which is not exactly a union, but it, it, it is a body that can be used to advocate. I know that um, we created one at UW-Madison when I was there um, to advocate against the, the legislation we were facing, and, and we've done the same here at UT. Um, and so faculty organizing does make a difference. We can make a case to elected officials and administrators, and if nothing else, we can wage a campaign in the media. But it's definitely an uphill battle. Right. And definitely, I mean, uh, reading some of these figures, um, two years after Wisconsin's law went into effect in 2015, the number of UW faculty leaving the UW system uh, increased by more than 50 percent. A quarter of Texas UT's instructors uh, polled said that they are looking elsewhere, looking for other jobs, not in that state. Where's, where are, there are some good states that uh, are, are not going after their professors. Where, where, do, uh, where would people go? All the smart people well, are going to be. <laughs> yeah, where are the smart people going? <clears throat> I mean, for now there are, right? So so people often name um, New York, Colorado, California, uh, New Mexico as, as places that, that haven't necessarily been targeted. Oregon is another one. Um, but I think the, the question is, is when is their, their time coming? Um, because, you know, this is a right-left issue in some ways. Um, but it, it, it's a bigger movement uh, around the country, and so I, I really do think it's important for faculty. I mean, I didn't do this in Wisconsin. I'm doing it in Texas to stay where they are and fight where they are because this is a, a, a nationwide thing. Mm-hmm. Right, and like you said, there's nowhere to run. Uh, b- back in the 80s, a number of people that were tenured, uh, professors on college, was about 40%, and now it's only about 25% of, of uh, college faculty are, are tenured, so... We're seeing that. Karma, any uh, any last uh, uh, thoughts on this? And what should people uh, be doing who are concerned about this inequality of uh, higher education? I think for the ordinary person who may not be directly connected to a university, uh, it's important to realize that it does matter to you because a university in your community and your state is a huge generator of economic um, growth and jobs. And it's also necessary in this polarized political time we live in, we need an educated citizenry. And without strong universities where professors can teach the things that they want to teach, even if they're controversial, we're going to raise a generation of students who simply don't have the ability to think for themselves. And that's very, very dangerous. And we can see some of the effects of that in our political uh, realm right now. Thank you very much uh, for saying that, Karma. Karma, thank you so much uh, uh, for being on the show this morning, especially at such a short notice. I really appreciate it. And this is definitely something um, we will continue to watch and monitor here on the Thursday Buzz and at Ward. So uh, good good to hear from you and uh, keep up the good work, as they say, Karma. Thanks, Tony. It was good to be here. All right.